We're starting an, a new series, what's so kind of a, a mini-series here in the middle of our, um, our series through the book of Acts. Um, and we actually got to a good stopping place there in Acts. We finished chapter 13, and that is the, the end of that beginning section. Uh, once we start chapter 14, we'll get into the church's ministry to the ends of the earth. So this was a good time for us to stop and take a break. Plus, you look at the calendar, it's a great time for us to stop and take a break um, and focus on Christmas for a little bit. Um, our little mini-series, we're going to call it uh, Christmas Playlist. And we're going to look at some of the classic Christmas carols and see what lessons we can learn from them. Um, and so I'm calling this Christmas Playlist, Theology from the Carols. Um, and you might have guessed, this morning we're looking at joy to the world. Um, so the question is, what's with all the joy? Okay. Um, well, uh, I'm going to pray and we can go ahead and get into the, the sermon. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you so much. Uh, I thank you for sending your son um, to live this perfect life, Lord. I thank you that he came willingly. Lord, we look at his birth and we, we just we, we stand and wonder at all the miracles that, that surround it, Lord. And we see your hand in place there. Lord, this morning as we look at um, this Christmas carol and we look at how it's related to your word, I pray, Lord, that you will teach us something new. Uh, help us to understand this song greater and help us to worship you more through it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I said, we're looking at joy to the world this morning. And the question is, what's with all the joy? Um, now part of the sermon series, as we're going through these carols, there are a couple of questions that I'm using to guide the sermon prep. And th those questions are, um, how are these classic carols related to Scripture? And so we'll start with this one. We'll start looking in the Bible. We're actually going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Um, and then we're going to look at and look at the carols and figure out what do they mean for us today. Because some of these songs are hundreds of years old. <clears throat> and so with Joy to the World, our uh, focus passage, our main passage is going to be uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And this song, this song specifically, brings up two questions about joy. And that is, why is Jesus' birth a joy to us? And secondly, is it really joy to the whole world? Or is it just to humanity? Is it a joy to all of creation, as the song implies? Or is Jesus' birth just a joy to us? So we're going to look at these questions a little bit more in depth. And so almost everybody knows the first line of the song. And if you don't, uh, Miss Deborah just helped to remind us of that. And that is, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. But we have to ask, why? Why is Jesus' birth a joy to us? And what does the Bible have to say about this? So we look into Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read 1 through 20. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his hometown. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds uh, said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened. Uh, See what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard this were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So after reading that, we're still kind of left saying, okay, well, why does Jesus' birth bring joy to us? Well, first question we ask when we look in the scripture, who says that it's a joy? Now, as I was going through and preparing for this, in a little bit of my, in my research, I found something that's, that's kind of surprising. Um, and you may already know this. You, you probably do. But as I was looking through the Gospels, through the, the Christmas story in the Gospels, the word joy is only used twice. Once in Matthew and once in Luke. And the one time in Matthew, it's not even specifically talking about the birth of Jesus. It's, uh, it's in Matthew 2, 9 and 10, talking about the wise men. It says, After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. So the wise men's joy wasn't specifically about Jesus' birth. It was that the star had led them to Jesus. And so when we look in verse 10 of Luke 2, so Luke 2, 10, we see that it's the angels who say that Jesus' birth is a joy. They say, uh, But the angels said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So it's not just a joy. Jesus' birth is not just a joy for us, but as the angels say, it's a great joy. So why is it a great joy. We still haven't quite gotten there yet. Why is it a great joy? You'll notice I used a lot of questions to kind of guide the the thought process here. So why is it a great joy? Well, that comes in the next verse. The next verse says, today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Well, again, we have another question. Why do we need a savior? When we look around us, a lot of people, especially in, um, in America, a lot of people say, well, I don't need a savior. We have the American dream that says, well, you work hard enough, you can become whatever you want. You don't need anybody to help you. You can do what you can be whatever you want. You know I, I, what I've what I learned. Um, my first mission trip to Toronto. Um, you know, one day we were working in, in an area of the city called Parkdale, and then the next day we were working in areas of the city called Midtown. Now Parkdale is a very poor area of the city. There's a lot of crime. There are a lot of immigrants. It's just a very very poor area of the city. Now Midtown is a much more wealthy area of the city. I mean, the, home, the homes there start around $4 million. Um, so it's a much more wealthy. I mean, you're walking down the road and you see um, you know, these fine Italian sports cars. It's, it's the homes are beautiful, the cars are beautiful, and the nice shops. You go to Parkdale, what's that? And, yeah, manicured yards. Well, the small yards they have in Toronto. But um, you go to Parkdale and you see homeless people on the street corner. You see uh, shops that are a little more tore up. Just the whole area of town is a little more, they show the more signs of brokenness. And so the one day when we're there in Parkdale and we're ministering and we're telling the gospel, people are willing to hear that they need a Savior because they feel that 
they feel that they can't help themselves. But then when you go to Midtown, where these people are much more well-to-do, they don't, they don't feel like they need a savior. They feel like they have it all under control. They feel like they can handle whatever comes their way. But when we know that when we look at Scripture, we also know when we look around us, everywhere around us, that we see the signs of brokenness. We see brokenness all around us. When we turn on the, the news, it's sad story after scary story after bad news. You know, the news can be hard to watch sometimes. For some people, Christmas time brings out that brokenness. You know, it highlights the brokenness. It, it makes them think of lost loved ones or it, you know, families that are broken. Just being around family sometimes can, can be stressful. So the holidays sometimes bring out that brokenness in us and it, and it highlights it for us. But we all long for something different. We all long for something better because we were created <clears throat> in something better. We were created for something better. In God's design, we were created to be in perfect relationship with him in perfect relationship with each other, and perfect relationship with the rest of creation. So why is it not that way? It's because of sin. It's because we choose to go our own way instead of following God's will, instead of following God's design. Now, sin is any time that we are not following God's will in our life. It can be when we're doing things that we're not supposed to do. It could be not doing things that we are supposed to do, or having sinful thoughts, such as lust, envy, pride, those are all sin, and they all lead us out of God's design and into brokenness. Now, the Bible says a lot about brokenness. I'm going to highlight a few things. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted, a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquity carries us away like the wind. And then in Romans 3.20, it says, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. What that tells us is that there's nothing we can do to work our way out of brokenness. There's no way that we can earn our way out of brokenness. We can't fix it on our own. And the ultimate sign of brokenness around us is death and eternal punishment in hell. And that, we see that in Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now that points us to the gospel. And that's that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And he died the death that we deserve. He was resurrected on the third day in victory over sin and death. Jesus' earthly ministry started with his miraculous birth in Bethlehem. Jesus' earthly ministry started with the Christmas story. And it starts in a little town in Judea. A little town that's not known for being much of anything before Jesus came. But now it's known as the birth of the Savior. And when we look, when we turn from our sins... When we believe in the gospel, we believe that he came and died for us. The Bible tells us that all who call, in the, name of, all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. And we are free to recover and pursue God's design in our life. Now this has broken down into two, into two parts, recover and pursue, or pursue and recover. So the recover part comes in, when we accept the gospel, our relationship with the Father is restored. Our relationship with God is reconciled, so we can recover that relationship. But notice, when I was talking about God's design, there are three parts to that. It was that we were to live in perfect communion with God. And so that's recovered through the gospel. And we're supposed to live in perfect community with each other. Now, the gospel always also gives us the tools that we need for that. After believing in the gospel and surrendering to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit can work in us to make us more like Jesus. And when we are more like Jesus, the relationships around us can be reconciled. Especially when 
other people around us are more like Jesus too. And those, those relationships are reconciled even quicker and easier. <clears throat> so we can start to see this process of recovering God's design. But so far, we've seen recovering God's design in our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. But there's a third part to that. In, in God's design, we were supposed to live in perfect relationship with the rest of creation. With the rest of creation. And so Jesus' birth is a great joy to mankind because through the gospel, we can recover and pursue God's design in our life. Through Jesus, our relationship with God is reconciled. And it is through the gospel that our relationships with fellow man can be reconciled. But we still haven't talked about whether or not Jesus' birth is a joy to the whole world, to all of creation, as the song implies. Now, to answer this question, we have to go back to the beginning. Not the beginning of the song, but the beginning of the story. Not the beginning of the Christmas story, but the beginning of the Bible. All the way back in creation. And see, after each part of creation, in Genesis 1, the Bible tells us that God saw what he had made. And it says that God saw that it was good. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I haven't taken any Hebrew. But I've read a little bit of people who have taken Hebrew, and they are Hebrew scholars. And this term, the word here that's used for good, is not, it doesn't mean pleasurable. It goes much deeper than that. The word here that the Hebrew author uses for good means that it works according to its intended purpose. The system, whatever has just been created or put in place, is working according to its intended purpose. So good, in that context, when God looks at creation, he says that it is good, so that all of us are working in our relationships in the way that we're supposed to. Our perfect relationship with God, our perfect relationship with each other, and perfect relationship with the rest of creation. And creation itself is working as a perfect system. But then we see in Genesis 3, the fall, the first sin. And then Genesis 3.17 tells us the effects of that first sin. And this is God speaking. And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate, the, uh, ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. You see, because of humanity's sin, verse 17, sorry, because of humanity's sin, verse 17 tells us that the ground is cursed because of our sin. This is the reason why we have hurricanes, earthquakes, drought, flooding, and other natural disasters. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that southeastern North Carolina was being sinful and then was punished by Hurricane Matthew. I'm not saying that Houston was punished because of their sin with Hurricane Harvey, or that Puerto Rico was being sinful and God sent Hurricane Maria to punish them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Dover, Delaware was being sinful and God sent this earthquake to punish them. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that because of our sin, um, sorry, what I am saying is that creation is experiencing brokenness because of our sin. And that brokenness that creation has comes out through these natural disasters. So how does this relate to Christmas? We're talking about Christmas, right? How does this relate to joy to the world? Well, Romans 8 helps us with that. Romans 8, 20 to 21 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected, uh, who subjected it. That's us. That's our sin. 
So creation was subject, subjected to futility because of our sin. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. So we see that in the same way that we are set free from our bondage to sin, that creation is set free from its bondage to decay. So you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, I, I see it. I see it in the scripture and I hear what you're saying. But Jesus came 2,000 years ago and we still have all these natural disasters. Jesus came and he's already defeated sin and death. Why do we still have all these natural disasters? Well, it's simple. The story's not over yet. We're not at the end of the story. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus came. We, he came to live uh, and he came through a miraculous birth. But we also celebrate Christmas to remind us that he's coming back. That he's coming back to defeat sin. He came the first time as a, as a baby. As a, a, a weak baby born in the manger. But he's coming back a second time as the king of kings, roaring like a lion. He's going to come and he's going to defeat all of his enemies. And those who, have, who believe in him will reign eternally with him. So he will come back. And that's what this song is pointing towards. See, often we think of heaven and we recognize that our bodies will be uh, resurrected into a perfected state. But a lot of times we forget that, heaven, or that, that earth is going to be restored in a perfected state as well. Because it will also be lacking the effect of sin. So Jesus' birth is a joy to all of creation because it, it points forward to a time when it will no longer feel the effects of sin. Creation recognizes its creator. Creation recognizes its creator. In Luke 19, verse 40, um, Jesus says, I tell you, if they, that they is his disciples, if they were to, were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. So here, creation recognizes its creator. And creation recognized that this is my creator who has come and has, has been born in a manger. That's why it's a joy to the world. This is because uh, the, the stone's crying out. This is because all of creation is constantly singing the praises of its creator and giving signs and pointing to God's glory. Joy to the world, the song acknowledges this with the phrase, repeat the sounding joy. It says, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. And we look at that, and if we really think about it, a lot of times we say, well, what does that mean? I don't get it. So when it says, repeat the sounding joy, it's pointing to the fact that creation is singing praises to its creator. We see that in uh, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Later in Psalms 65.12, it says, the wilderness pastures overflow, and the hills are robed with joy. So this Christmas carol that we sing points to the end times when Jesus comes back. As a matter of fact, this Christmas carol was not originally written as a Christmas carol. It was, it was written as a song in praise, looking forward to Jesus' second coming. Now we've taken it and adapted it for, as a Christmas song. It was written to reflect the hope that we have in Jesus' second coming. We look forward to that second coming. We look forward to it with Christmas and we look forward to it in our songs. So should we avoid singing this song in Christmas time? No, I don't think so. I think we should continue to sing this song at Christmas time because Jesus' birth is a joy to us because it restores our relationships. And Jesus' birth is a joy to all of creation because it points forward to a time when it will be recreated into a perfected state. 
So we come to our application point, our application time. Um, and the same question, you know, what lessons can we learn from this passage to fulfill our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ? And again, looking at knowing, being, and doing. First, know. Know that Jesus' birth is a joy. Jesus' birth is a joy to you because he came to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus' birth is a joy to you because you can, know, you can now be free from your slavery to sin. Being. When we look at the being part of our application, it's to be joyous. Now, I said earlier, yes, I recognize that sometimes the holidays can be a hard time. But we can be joyous because we look to the future and we look and we know that Jesus is coming back. He's restored our relationships now. And we can look and we know that, our, that all of our relationships will be perfectly restored in the future. That all of creation will be perfectly restored in the future. And then finally, when we look at doing, how do we apply this message in what we do? That's to sing praises to God. Sing songs that praise Him. You know, when we're in here at church and we're singing, you know, actually sing. You know, I know a, a lot of people don't want to sing. Let's say, I can't sing. I'm not a good singer. You don't have to be a great singer. Just sing. It doesn't have to be beautiful. Just sing. You know, God commanded us to sing. And he wouldn't tell us to do something that he hasn't given us the ability to do. Now, John, I'm not talking just to you. <laughs> there are a lot of people who, who feel that way. But God wouldn't command us to do something that he hasn't given us the ability to do. So, yes, sing those songs that praise him. But also, not just songs. There's a uh, Casting Crown song called Life Song. And it says... Let my life song sing to you. The actions that I do, let them praise you. What I do with my life, how I live my life, let that be a song that praises God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, I thank you for the blessings that you give to us. I thank you for sending your son, that he was born in a manger, and his birth was miraculous. Lord, I praise you that he came to take our sins, that he came to defeat sin and death once and for all. Lord, I thank you that you have given us a way to restore these relationships that we have broken. Lord, I ask this morning that you will touch our hearts. Help us to be joyful. Lord, help us to recognize that through you, all of our relationships can be restored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So our response time, you can respond where you're seated and pray. You can come. You can still make it to the cross. You can come to the cross and pray. Or you can come and pray with me, but please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning.